morning and Happy New Year and I hope you like the way that Roy and I have coordinated our jumpers this morning. Uh, I am uh, really quite excited about this new year and about this new teaching series that we're starting today at Windsor called Essential Word. And for the next uh, 20 minutes or so, I just want to introduce this to you. For the past couple of years, we have done a number of relatively short series. Is that the plural for, for more than one series? No, it's series I. What is it? We've done a, rel- a number of relatively short series. And if there are lots of them, just lots of series. Is No, right. Like the recent uh, Sunday morning one that we did on Joseph that just lasted for a couple of months or the recent uh, one we did on Sunday evenings called Just Ten that lasted for ten weeks looking at the Ten Commandments. But starting today, we're launching a series that's going to last for the entire year. It's going to run mornings and evenings. Now in your pew, and everybody should have one of these, in your pew if you could grab this essential word, uh, either sitting on the seats for people here if there's an extra one in the seat pass them over to these people one of these and one of these here green Sundays at Windsor sheet as Hillary has already said 2011 is a significant year for the Bible a very significant year for the Bible and so for the next 12 months we at Windsor are going to work our way through the whole Bible from Genesis To Revelation, because we passionately believe that this critically important and highly influential book tells a story. It actually tells a big story that makes sense of your life and mine at every level. You see, the Bible is, and I I realize I say this against a backdrop of pluralism, And also against the backdrop of a plethora of alternative worldviews. But the Bible is the one comprehensive true story of our world. Now except that's not a popular statement to make in this third millennium. But as Tom Wright or N.T. Wright puts it, the whole point of Christianity is that it offers a story which is the story of the whole world. It is public truth. This book, the Bible, offers a real story. It offers the real story that provides a framework of meaning for all people in all places at all times. And that includes you and I. Bishop Leslie Newbegin the great Church of Scotland missionary put it like this. The way we understand human life depends on what concept we have of the human story. What is the real story in which my life is a part? Well, for this book, the Bible, or these 66 books that make up the Bible, it is what tells us a real story. That grand story, that, if you like, meta-narrative. And I know, again, in a sort of postmodern world or an ultra-modern world, whatever way you want to describe it, that is not a popular thing to say. But we believe there is one comprehensive, true story of our world, and we find it in God's Word. We find it 
in the Bible. And if you like, if you want to sum it up, it's this. It's the actions of God in redeeming a world. The Bible tells one unfolding story of redemption. And I do think it's really helpful to see the Bible as a single great story. A drama, if you like, that is made up of many various acts. So there's creation, there's sin, there's Israel, there's Jesus, there's church, there's the new creation. And it's actually a drama in which every single one of us is invited to be involved and to play a part. And so one of the key aims of this new series is to capture a sense of the whole Bible. To capture an understanding of the one big story, rather than sometimes how we approach the Bible as this sort of mosaic of fragmented bits. But to actually get a grasp of what is the whole story of the whole Bible. But what excites me the most, I think, about this new series is that it is, or it could be, a story we read together. So we're going to read it in community, if you like, and as part of community, but we're also going to read it on our own. Now let me explain how this is going to work. Each Sunday morning and evening, as we gather here in this building, at this time and at 7pm, we are going to listen to and we're going to hopefully engage with another part of the story. Another part of the unfolding story. But then during the week, what we're inviting you to do is on your own, or with someone else, or I know some of you have decided to do this in families, you are going to follow this story for yourself. And to make that possible, we're encouraging everyone to get a copy of this book, Essential 100, which, if you like, is going to act as a kind of individual travel companion on this journey. This book provides the outline for the series for the whole year. It actually takes us through the story of the Bible in 100 readings. 100 key readings that capture the story of the Bible. 50 from the Old Testament, 50 from the New Testament. And those 100 readings are ones we're going to pick up here each Sunday. And therefore, here's what I think is the beauty of this or the value of this, is that what you read on your own or with someone else or as a family is then going to be connected and reinforced here on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. Now, I'm sure lots of you have set out to read the Bible in a year. I know I asked this question about a month ago and lots of you stuck your hands in the air. Particularly at the start of a new year, whenever resolutions are being made, I don't know if you've made a New Year's resolution along these lines, I'm going to read Scripture more. I mean, uh, Hillary's already alluded to the fact that she believes she doesn't value the Bible anywhere near as enough as she should. And I don't know if you start this new year thinking, you know, I'm going to read my Bible more this year. Well, this is actually different Because this is not about reading every chapter and verse of the Bible. But what it is about is getting a sense of the story of the whole Bible. So instead of 365 daily readings, where you're actually asked to read about four chapters plus every single day, and by about the third week in January you've lost the will to live, that's not what this is about. What it's about is 100 readings, just a couple a week. Maximum of two chapters at a time. 
And so from Sunday to Sunday, in between, if you pick up on this, and I really hope you will, if you pick up on this, that's what we're inviting, encouraging you to do. So what do you actually need? In a sense, you need this Sundays at Windsor sheet because that's going to, if you like, tell us where we're at in the journey. You do need to grab a copy of this book. I know well over 100 of you already have. If anyone hasn't this yet, I've got more of them here this morning that are available for you. But finally, what you need is a commitment to go for this. A commitment to really go for this for the next 52 weeks. Now I realize that's a big challenge, maybe even a big ask. But I do honestly believe this could be a great experience for us as a church on a corporate level, but also individually on a personal level. And so during 2011, I'm going to invite you to engage or re-engage with the Bible at a new level in a new way, because it is the big story. It's God's story. It's your story. And the reason for doing this is so that our lives are actually shaped by the story of Scripture rather than by the many alternative stories that are out there. That's what I hope and pray, that each of our lives will be shaped by the story of Scripture rather than by any other story that is out there. The question is, are you up for this? Well, as we begin this series, I I need to ask you a relatively personal question. It's a really important one regarding Scripture. How do you see and treat the Bible? Be honest with me about this. How do you currently see and treat the Bible. Because how you answer that question will profoundly influence your approach to Scripture. How you see it, how you treat it, will influence your approach to it. It will dictate how you handle it and how you engage with it. Now, a month ago, I showed you what is probably one of my favorite quotes. It's a great quote. It's a provocative quote of Gandhi's. Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, to turn the world upside down, to bring peace to a battle-torn planet, but they treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. God's word is so much more than a piece of literature. It is distinctively and dynamically different from any other book because it is God's word. The distinguishing feature of the Bible is its divine origin. And nowhere is that more explicitly stated than in, if you like, our core text for this morning. And as I say, this is just an introduction this morning. But nowhere is this idea of the divine origin of the Bible more explicit than in this well-known verse. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting And training in righteousness. And so we don't simply read words on a page. What we're invited to do is breathe it in. To inhale God-breathed, inspired words of life. That have this potential, it would seem, to transform us. To change us. To teach us. To rebuke us. To correct us. To train us. Now Warren Wearsby has a great take on this verse. 
And he breaks it down like this, and I think it is an excellent way of remembering it and recognizing just how important the Bible is. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for knowing what is right, for rebuking, for knowing what is not right, for correcting, for knowing how to get right, and for training, for knowing how to stay right. In other words, what he's really saying is, listen, scripture is life-forming. God's word can shape who you are. It can actually lead you into right living. And so this is going to be, if you like, our fellowship group motto verse for the year at Windsor. And so Richard has prepared these bookmarks which will be available to you in your, your fellowship groups. So what I'm saying is don't fall into the trap of just seeing the Bible as a piece of literature. And I know many of you would never say that you would do that. Don't, as many people in our society say, listen, it's just one great book amongst or alongside many others. We cannot reach that place. Instead, we need to begin seeing it as the word of God, the divine message, his meaningful communication, if you like, to human beings that actually deserves to be read, that needs to be read, that needs to be learnt from, that needs to be inhaled because it can, as I say, shape our lives. But let me mention a second trap that I think we sometimes fall into when it comes to seeing the Bible. Now, it's one I have referred to before. I raised this on a Sunday evening about 20 months ago. I think it was March 2009. And what I'm about to share now in these next few minutes is, in a sense, a repeat of that or a redevelopment of something I said about the Bible as part of our Holy Habits series. And there weren't that many there that night, and anyone who was there has probably forgot it. Uh, So I think it's worth saying again, and the reason it's worth saying again is because it really does fit with the start of a series on God's Word. But one of the most unhelpful ways of seeing the Bible, one of the most unhelpful ways of describing the Bible, and if I'm honest, this is the, the way I sort of grew up seeing the Bible, but is as a manual for life, or as the manufacturer's handbook. How many people are familiar with that description of the Bible as a manual for life? Just, right, quite a number. For a start, I'm I'm not sure it's a biblical image, but here's my main problem with this description. How many people ever read or have any real desire to read the manual for their toaster, their TV or their car? Now, of course, we might read them or parts of them if and when something goes wrong. Or we might even occasionally turn to them as a point of reference. But how many people would ever sit down and think, I must read a few chapters of that microwave manual? It just doesn't happen. And that's because manuals are generally perceived as rather dull documents. They're important, yes, they are important, but not exactly inspiring. And the term manual for anything does nothing for the vast majority of us, I would suggest. And therefore, I think we should shelve that description of God's word. We should change our perception of it, change our perspective on it. But if that isn't helpful, what I am going to do, and as I say, this is sort of like repeating something I said 20 months ago at an evening service. I want to suggest seven that are. Now, this is the inspired, God-breathed word of God. That is the primary description. That is the essential idea, if you like, that we need to embrace. But there are at least seven other objects and images that we find in Scripture 
to describe God's word or the words of God. Seven things that God's word is compared to. And the reason that I find these so helpful, and the reason I draw our attention to them, is that if we can actually, and this is a proposal, you take us away, wrestle with us. If we can actually see the Bible in these seven ways, then I honestly believe it could radically alter your approach to it and your appetite for it. If we can reimagine, if you like, the Bible as these seven objects or metaphors, then it may just renew or refresh our understanding of Scripture. So here's, they're not in any particular order. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the image, first of all, and then I'm going to show you where we locate that image within Scripture. So here's the first one. Some of these will be familiar to you, some maybe not so. Bread. I want you to just look at that for a moment. Why bread? Why is the Bible described or compared to this everyday food item? And and maybe there's the answer. That Jesus put it like this as he quoted from Deuteronomy. Man does not live on bread alone, but actually lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, what Jesus was saying, listen, this is an essential ingredient for life, for spiritual life. And you see, without regular intake, daily intake, if you like, daily consumption of God's word, you will waste away spiritually. I know I've shared this a few times, but looking back over my own life, whenever I am not connected to and engaged with God's word on a regular basis, I struggle spiritually. I begin to waste away. And during 2011, we want to be nourished and fed by every bread-like word, every bread-like sustaining word that comes from the mouth of God. Second image, a mirror. Another everyday item. Most of us, in fact all of us, I think, use one of these every morning before we leave the house. Having crawled, or if you're the sort of person that bounces out of bed, you check, at least I'm assuming this, you check your physical reflection before you head out the door. You see what needs sorted, combed, straightened, removed, squeezed, tidied up, and then you, sorry, and then you attend to it. That's the whole point of a mirror. We observe our physical state in one of these things and then we put it right or as right as we can put it. And God's word, if you like, acts in exactly the same way, only it acts at an internal spiritual level. Here's how James puts it. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues into it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. And you see, as we read God's word, it, like a mirror, reveals what's out of place in our lives. 
What needs attention? What needs fixed? What needs put right? And then it urges, listen, don't walk away. Once you have observed, using God's word as a mirror, once you have observed what is not right with your life, then do something about it in response. God's word is like a mirror. The third image, a scalpel. This is, this is probably my favorite picture of the seven because I actually find this a very powerful way of looking at scripture. Uh, as you stare at this for a moment, and I know some of you use these things on a pretty regular basis, but as you stare at this for a moment, I'm sure different thoughts come to mind. It, it, it's sharp. It's incisive. It's potentially lethal. It's healing. It's dangerous in the wrong hands. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 from the message. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. God's word can and will if we let it cut us open. It really will cut us open, cut us to the core. It will reveal what we're really like. It will expose the true us behind the mask. The true us. Scripture can perform extensive surgery in your life. Life preserving surgery. And I love that idea that we can't get away from it. I try. I try to do without it. I try to live as a Christian without constantly engaging with God's word, whatever that means. And I do struggle. I can't get away from it if I am going to survive. The fourth image is probably one we're all and most familiar with, this idea of a torch or a lamp. The idea that this is, it's something that brings light to darkness. It's something that brightens up environments. It provides direction. It offers guidance whenever the way ahead is obscured or uncertain. And it's an image that comes from Psalm 119, that long psalm that is all about God's word. And where we find this comment, your word's a lamp for my feet and it's a light for my path. Fifth image, fire. Again, this is maybe not one that immediately springs to mind. But again, just as you look at that image, what are some of the thoughts that come to mind? Heat. Warmth. Purifying. Consuming. Burning. Destructive. It's a strong image that conjures up lots of thoughts. And according to the great Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, this is how God describes his word. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord. And the sixth image comes from the second half of that verse in Jeremiah. It's of a hammer. And I don't know if you've ever thought of God's word as one of these. Something that's used in the construction industry or at home to repair, to break down, to nail, to create, to alter, to smash. Jeremiah 23, 29 continues. And this is God speaking. Is not my word like a hammer that breaks a rock to pieces? See, God's word, and this is really what I want us to capture this one. God's word is far, far more than just a book. 
It's all of these things. And the final image is the sword taken from that brilliant section in Ephesians where Paul's talking about the armor of God and in amongst all the kit and all the equipment that he says, listen, you've got to wear this. You've got to wear this if you want to survive the struggle you're in. And that is what the Christian life is. It's a struggle. That's what Paul says. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not an easy choice. It's a struggle. It is life to the full. That's where the paradox comes in. But it is a struggle. And Paul says, see, if you want to survive this, if you want to get through this, then you need to kit up. And one of the items you need to carry is take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's a weapon for attack and a defense. We need it just in the same way that Jesus took up the word of God whenever he faced the evil one as he started out in his ministry. Take a look at those seven objects. And as you look at them, and this, is, this has been my prayer for this morning, that we will, as we look at those, sense the potential of God's word. That if we can see it as a hammer and as a mirror and as a scalpel and as a sword and as a torch or a lamp or a light and as bread and as fire, plus if we see it as the inspired, God-breathed, divine message, life-forming message of God, then that should radically impact how we treat the Bible. Should. And if when I sit down and I open God's word that I don't simply see ink in pages, but I actually see it as any one-off or all of these things, then I honestly believe in my own life, and I said this 20 months ago, and I need to keep revisiting this, I honestly believe it may change the way I approach Scripture. And as we finish this morning, I want to give you a chance to respond to this. As we, as we start this new series and as we start a new year. And if you're here this morning, and maybe just even what Hillary said as she shared about Bible Fresh and about her experience in Tanzania. But if you're here this morning and you sense or you recognize that you have a need to begin reading Scripture with renewed energy. That you do need to read Scripture from a fresh perspective with a new resolve, if you like, in 2011, then in a moment I'm going to invite you to stand. Now, we don't often do this. In fact, I can't remember the last time we did. But sometimes, and particularly at the start of the year, I think it's really good to just put down a marker as you begin a new journey. And so if you want to reconnect with or deepen your connection with Scripture this year, then as we sing our final song, we normally sing it before someone speaks, but today, to, or this morning, we're going to sing it as we close and as we leave this place. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. And so, we're going to remain seated, but during the singing of that first verse, if you want, in a sense, put a marker down and say, yeah, listen, I'm going to commit to this new series. I'm going to commit to this journey. I do want to read God's word from a fresh perspective with renewed resolve this year. Then during the singing of that first, I'm just going to invite you to stand. And then at the end of the first verse, we'll all stand for the last two.